Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. I remember the mor- the morning vividly. We were um, we were doing conditioning, and uh, I looked upstairs, and there was these three guys playing wall ball, like three college students playing wall ball. And I just I kept looking up there and realizing they're having a lot more fun with their college experience than I am. And uh, honestly, that day I, I called my dad and said, hey, I think I'm done. That was Travis Drake. He's the principal at Lauren Middle School in Vancouver. He was a former standout basketball player at Battleground High School. Also a former rival and longtime friend of Dan Dickhouse. He's today's guest. Welcome to Dan Dickhouse Quarantine Series on the Scorebook Live Today podcast. As the world, particularly the world of sports, is shut down due to the coronavirus, we're ramping things up a notch here at Scorebook Live. Every weekday, Dan interviews an expert in the world of sports, from star hoopers and coaches like Steve Kerr, Jamal Crawford, and Doug Christie, to seven-time Mr. Olympia bodybuilder Phil Heath. We hope you're entertained and maybe learn a thing or two as we navigate these uncertain times. The easiest way to tune in is by subscribing. In addition to our weekly Washington High School Sports News and Conversation podcast released Thursdays, hosted by myself, Andy Bueller, fellow reporter Todd Millis, Dan is bringing you interviews just like this one delivered five days a week. Head to wherever you get your podcast, subscribe for free, and while you're there, leave a review. We'd love to hear from you. Before we get to Dan's interview today, a word from our sponsor. This podcast is brought to you by Washington Federal. Washington Federal is a local bank and portfolio lender with more than 200 branches across eight states, more than 32,000 fee-free ATMs, 24-7 online and mobile banking with drive-up ATMs. Washington Federal is a proud sponsor of Scorebook Live. They care deeply about high school sports and the communities that support them across the entire state of Washington. Head to WFDBank.com to learn how they can help you meet your financial goals. That's WAFDBank.com. Washington Federal, a neighbor you can count on. We hope everybody's staying safe and healthy. We're just as excited for high school sports to return as you are. Now, Dan Dickow. Dan Dickhouse, Corbett Live, Washington. Today, our podcast is typically once a week if, if you subscribe or listen. Um, but in these uncertain times in our world and in our nation, due to COVID-19, we are releasing a daily interview that we are calling the Quarantine Series, where I bring you a, a conversation with an expert in the field of sports. It might be a, a professional, it might be someone from college or, or the high school ranks, but somebody that... I'm connected to that I feel has a, a tremendous um, background, somebody that can shed some light in athletics at the high school level in many unique ways. And today's guest is no different. Graduated from Battleground High School the same year in 1997 I did uh, from Prairie High School. Uh, it was a terrific high school player. He played a couple of years of, of community college basketball before he found his true passion. And that was to be a coach. Uh, he's taken his love of the game from coaching uh, to being an administrator as an athletic director, a principal. Uh, some of it I have found has had a tremendous perspective on youth sports for a number of years. None other than Travis Drake. Travis, 
How goes life in Vancouver? Life is well in Vancouver, Dan. Thanks for having me. I'm uh, honored and grateful to be part of this. Well, I, like I mentioned, you know, there's lots of uh, people that are at many different levels that have a perspective that is fresh, is unique, uh, that can provide a lot of value to a little, a lot of different people. And I think you absolutely fit that bill. I want to quickly go back to your high school days. You went to Battleground High School. You guys were rivals with uh, my Prairie Falcons. Um, I always, looking back, respect just how big of a work ethic and a dedication that you had to the game. Where did that come from and what drove you uh, to really kind of be a tireless worker? Yeah, that's, um, and as, as, as you know, you don't really think about those things unless someone asks. I think for me, I had a, a very strong drive to be successful at something. Um, and I knew that in order to do that, of course, you got to put in a tremendous amount of time. But quite honestly, thinking back to that time, um, when you're surrounded by people with with ridiculous work ethic, uh, you you have to make a decision. Either I want to try and compete with them or I need to pick a different sport. Um, for for I would say for a few years, I didn't see it necessarily as a blessing because, of course, we all compare our careers to someone else. But um, when, you know, when you spend so many hours like I did working at, at Green Meadows, the, the athletic club down here, and on the other end of the court is you, um, and I'm shooting with Richie, or we're playing a game. And so, you know, when you grow up with two guys like yourself and Richie Fromm, who who had unbelievable careers, um, I was really just trying to keep up with you guys. Uh, you know, I I made a decision early on that basketball was what I wanted to focus on. Um, if I had to do it over again, if I could jump back into my mind back then, I wouldn't have just focused on basketball. Um, but that was my decision then. So I think just the, um, the, the joy in competing, um, you know, the, the Friday and Saturday nights, like we knew that when we were there at Green Meadows, we knew what other high school kids were doing. Um, we just didn't care. And um, like that was my safe haven. And still to this day, when I walk into that athletic club, um, I'm not a member there at all or anything. Um, you know, all these, all these memories come rushing back. So, uh, so grateful to have, and I, you know, I wasn't, an amazing high school athlete um, at all. You know, I, I think I can now confidently say I was a little bit above average. Um, in my mind at that time, I was D division one until the world showed me that I wasn't. Um, but just to be able to compete with everyone was a true blessing. So many times in, in athletic career, you kind of learn that work ethic and that grind and, and you had that. But you just made a, a comment that I never, quite frankly, knew from you is that looking back, you know, maybe you wish you were somebody who was a multi-sport athlete in high school. Uh, I've always told people when they've asked me, um, should my kid focus on sport, on a particular sport at the age of 9, 10 years old? And I've always said no. Uh, until you get to high school and you really find a passion for a particular sport or you find something maybe. May, that maybe you're gifted at, at that point you pick that sport to truly go after. What is your message to parents as now you've gone from the gamut of being a coach, and we'll touch on that in a bit, an athletic director, and now a principal at a school? Yeah, well, I think, you know, perspective is, is of course, huge. And I think that the risk of picking one sport is, you know, for every, for every Dan Dickow, 
because you can look back on your, your athletic career and say, hey, it worked out pretty good, right? Um, but there's a lot of people in my boat who, like, I wanted to be a Division One athlete. And I was going to do everything I could to become that. And unfortunately for me, when that didn't happen, there was a, a, a long time where I viewed everything that I did through a lens of failure. Like, I, I didn't, you know, I didn't play at a Division One school. I wasn't good enough. And my perspective now is the the journey is actually what you're trying to accomplish, if that makes sense. So if I could do it over again, um, I wouldn't take away any of the experiences I had in basketball, but there was a lot of other sports that I enjoyed playing that I would have enjoyed playing with my high school um, peers. And I think had I had, I had more of a balanced approach to that, um, I would have recognized that it's okay being an above, above average high school player and having it in. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. Like those experiences, there's nothing wrong with those experiences. And, and I think, it, you know, and that's carried on and we'll, I know we'll talk about coaching later, but I think for a lot of us who got into coaching young, we want to be division one coaches. And then I talked to some division one coaches and realized I also wanted to, to stay married and see my own kids. Um, so I, what I tell parents now is, you know, if your child is so abnormally driven and talented at something, um, then I think you could consider having them be a single, a single sport athlete. Um, or if that second sport, I know you played golf quite a bit. Um, I do think there's some sports that are conducive to playing multiple. If, if you think, man, I've got a gift here and I might actually get to play, you know, play beyond high school and, and do something special for the rest of us, you know, for the people who aren't, yourself or from, I think it's really about what experiences do I want my kid to have when they're in high school? And um, from my lens as an athletic director, the happiest kids and the happiest parents were those kids who their, their purpose was the experience. Like they just wanted to have a good experience. For those parents and kids who were thinking, I need to go D1. And if I don't, um, I, I'm a failure. Those are the ones that end up transferring. Those are the ones that, you know, will call my office and want the coach fired because they weren't running the right offense. Um, I love that comment. The purpose was the experience. And I, looking back now, there are, there are high school practices that I remember. There are games that I remember uh, at high school. And those shaped me to fight through adversity through college and different parts of my career, as well as now in the business world, trying to figure out uh, everything that, that needs to be done on a daily basis. So you, after high school, you played two years community college, uh, one at Clark in Vancouver, uh, as well as a year down in, in the LA area at Citrus College. But in knowing you, in the back of your mind, you wanted to get into coaching. You ended up being done playing, and at a pretty young age, you got into coaching. Is that something that when you were still playing in high school and, and having those dreams and goals to play at a higher level, in the back of your mind, you wanted to be a coach? And then what was the f final decision that, okay, I'm done playing, I'm going to coach? Because a lot of kids listening, listen to our podcast are probably in a similar boat as you were. Yeah. Um, I knew that for whatever reason, from the beginning, I've wanted to have an impact on kids. Um, I didn't know exactly how or in what way. 
um, or age or anything like that. You know, I, I got into teaching, honestly, because I wanted to coach. And so I started coaching before I got into education. I was um, 20 years old and I had just, um, you asked about the moment I realized I was done playing. Uh, I, I told you before we, we got on, I, I can't even say I played at Central Washington. Um, technically, I went to Central Washington to play basketball and they did ask me to go there to play basketball. I didn't just show up. Um, but after about a month and a half of being enrolled at Central, I realized I was done. Um, you know, I, I remember the, mor the morning, vividly, we were, um, we were doing conditioning. And uh, I looked upstairs and there was these three guys playing wall ball, like three college students playing wall ball. And I just, I kept looking up there and realizing they're having a lot more fun with their college experience than I am. And uh, honestly, that day I, I called my dad and said, hey, I think I'm done. Um, I, I want to be done playing. So I went and told Coach Spar that uh, that's it. Uh, I'm going to hang it up. So, you know, at 20, I moved home feeling like a huge failure, of course, because anytime you quit something, um, you know, there's a lot of negative emotions that come with that. And in the newspaper, back when people would still read the classified ads for jobs, um, there was a Richfield freshman high school boys job. And so um, Greg Ford was someone that I've known, and I know you know you knew him through coaching as well. Um, and you know, just starting at the age of 20 and you go through those transitions where, hey, these kids will listen to me because I used to play or I could still get out and play with them. So, of course, they're going to listen to me. And then you realize they don't really care that I played. Um, it doesn't matter to them. Right. And so I was able to to learn. And then uh, I think I was 25 when I got my um, when I was the became the varsity, maybe 24 when I became the varsity coach out at Washougal High School. Um, and, you know, huge experience there as well and in, in learning in that, in that form. Such a young head coach, uh, 24, 25 at Washougal. Um, there's a learning curve to every career. And did you feel at the age of 24, 25 as a head coach, you were prepared to answer questions from parents? Uh, you were prepared to run a program? I mean, that's a very real question because in this day and age of sports, and I can only imagine for high school coaches now as opposed to 15 years ago, the social media, the constant, you know, parents wanting to, to hover over their kids way too much. Did you feel where you were prepared and was there anything that you felt helped you feel prepared? Um, yeah, I think you know, none of us know really how unprepared we are until after the fact. And uh, I think I was wired and, you know, I, I'm sure you're similar. Um, I'm always just confident enough that I'm going to figure it out and I'll do okay. And so that first year at Washougal, I didn't know how bad I was until probably my third year at Washougal when I was able to look back on my first year. But the truth is, and this, you know, doesn't feel good to say, you know, we get into coaching so we can get invited to weddings and meet former players, babies and spouses and things like that. Um, no one from my first year at Washougal ever reached out to me after my first year at Washougal. Uh, and, and that doesn't feel great to even say out loud. There were nine seniors my first year. So I was 24, they were 18. And um, I felt like I knew what I was doing. And I think they could see that maybe I, I wasn't as smart as I thought. Um, I will say after that, you know, I was humbled really quickly and I knew that I needed to change my approach. I mean, you know when players don't really like you. Uh, and 
And so I knew I had to adjust, adjust my approach. I had a, a mentor out there, Denny Houston, who coached at Weber State, coached at Stanford with Mike Montgomery, and he was a retired, um, you know, div- retired Division One basketball coach who lived next to the school. So I was able to get Denny involved really quickly, and he was on my bench with me, and he, would, uh, he helped me a lot. So in terms of being prepared, um, no, I, I wasn't even close to being prepared uh, at all. And I will say the, I'm really proud of the growth that I had from year one to year two and from year two to year three. Um, you know, I was able to, to make it a good experience for the kids, and I'm still in contact with a lot of those players. Some of them have moved in with my wife and I, um, you know, during times when they needed some support. So as confident as I am that that year, uh, year one kid, kid group didn't necessarily like me, um, I'm just as confident that year two and beyond, um, I have very strong connections with those kids. That's awesome to see the, the self-reflection and the growth in your coaching career. But you mentioned Denny Houston, who, who I know a little bit, obviously not to the level and extent that you do, as being someone who is supportive. Was there a coach, and I know you played for a really good high school coach in Butch Blue at Battleground. Was there a coach that you can look back and say, he was my mentor, he's the reason that I really – figured that I wanted to get into coaching and stay around the game? Uh, You know, honestly, part of it is I think I was so narcissistic as a high school kid. And, you know, because my end game was I got to be a division one player. And uh, I, I don't know if I allowed myself to connect to, to some of our, the coaches I had, Um, you know, I Butch Blue, who is a hall of fame coach, um, who I have a lot of respect for, I, I didn't really allow him to, to coach me. Uh, you know, I, I think what I'm saying is I probably wasn't very fun to coach. Looking back, I wouldn't have wanted to coach me. Um, I would say, you know, we learn a lot from coaches. We take bits and pieces from coaches. Um, and I definitely learned a lot from Butch Blue. Um, I had my, my coach down at Citrus College, Mac Calvin, uh, he was an All-American, I think, at USC and played some, some years in the league in the ABA and then the NBA. Um, he took over for Mike Schuler when Mike Schuler was fired, the Los Angeles Clippers. So I learned some from Matt Calvin. Um, I, you know, I brought up Denny, but I would say Denny's probably been the most influential person um, that I've had because he is someone that went through – he played the Division One game, right? So he – he coached for years and years under Marv Harshman at UW and, and then Denny would tell me, but the truest coaching actually takes place in the high school level. And, um, and he would say, you really need to be grateful for, for staying and coaching. Um, and I remember when I told Denny that I was going to leave coaching to become an administrator, you know, he said, I'm, I'm sad that you're not going to be able to have a positive impact on all the high school kids that you would have had, had you stayed in coaching. And that really rung, uh, that, that stuck with me. That's, uh, that's a unique perspective. And I think the, the, the interesting point about that is you had lots of different coaches you were connected with at some point. And then you finally had your own chance to run your program. You stepped away from it. You, as you just mentioned at the end of that, um, you went into the administration. You became an athletic director and now you're a principal. So your ability to maybe impact kids on the basketball court is slightly different but you probably I would imagine have a bigger opportunity to impact coaches and teachers both for the teams that they're coaching as well as the 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 classes that they're teaching 
how do you view yourself maybe being a mentor to, to coaches and teachers at this time and how do you value it? Yeah. And I think, you know, we all have our own pace of reflection and when we feel like we're, we're finally developing a stronger understanding and I know I'm not as old as, uh, as you are there, Mr. Dickow, but I am 40. <laughs> um, and I do finally feel, you know, I've been an administrator now 12 years. Um, I've been a high school coach. The, I've had the opportunity to coach my own daughters who are, um, you know, they're freshmen and seventh grader and take a group of girls starting when they're in third grade and coach them through eighth. For me, the perspective is finally, um, I think if, if people go into the business of working with kids with the sole desire to have a positive impact, regardless of whether you're a, a teacher, administrator, counselor, um, custodian, custodians can have an amazing impact on a group of students around them. So if you have that desire to have an impact and then you have the ability to be reflective, um, those are, when I'm working with a teacher or a coach who is struggling, if they're not reflective, I, I make it really clear at the beginning, like we can't have any more conversations about your growth if you're not going to reflect. And so the tone of our conversation is going to have to change to, you know, let's find a, a position or a job or a career that might fit your, um, your skill set. And, you know, and I know that there's this perception that teachers can't be removed because of the union. And uh, quite honestly, that's false uh, because anyone can be removed if they're, if they're harming kids, it just takes some persistence. And I will also say that teachers are some of the most reflective people generally, and, and they do want to have a positive impact. Coaches, the same, the same thing. Like coaches want to have a positive impact. And I um, have a, had a lot of joy from working with coaches who want to have that positive impact, regardless of the sport. It, coaches and the impact that they have, um, to this day, I'm still blown away because some of my uh, – the people that I reflect on, like you talked about, are coaches. My high school coach, Eric York, my eighth grade basketball coach, discipleship teacher at Cornerstone, uh, a guy by the name of Steve Metcalf, uh, athletes in action coach who really led a team that I was on for only three weeks, Morris Mahalski. Um, guys like that have had as much impact on me as um, anybody else. And it's really great to hear someone in a position of influence like yourself sharing that and trying to help mold the, the teachers and coaches that you work with daily um, to realize that and reflect that and get better at that. And if I can, if I can interrupt you real quick, Dan, cause you mentioned you had a coach for three weeks who had an impact on you. And, and I think that's where I've, it, it took me a little while, you know, I think we're all programmed to think if we're not having our impact on a large scale or in a large setting, then somehow the impact we're having isn't as significant as someone else. And I'll relate it back to, you know, just having a, a front row seat of watching your career or Richie's career. Um, at the time, I wouldn't say I was, uh, I was jealous, but I wasn't as, um, I guess, appreciative of what you guys were doing and how grateful I should have been. The fact that, man, here's two guys I grew up playing with that, you know, they're, they're playing on national TV and this, this should be a lot of fun to watch. But that impact... Uh, there's a custodian that we had at, at Prairie who I would watch him when no one else is around. I would watch him connect with some of our most at-risk kids and he wasn't doing it. So the principal would see it. So we would think, wow, Ariel's having this huge impact. He would just quietly walk up to a kid and sit down and chat. And so 
for me now, you know, my, my big time is, um, you know, it might be me sitting on a, on a swing next to a kid who's blowing out. Um, now I'm at a middle school. So, you know, my moment might be sitting next to a 10 year old girl who's frustrated because her parents are getting a divorce. And, and that, that is my impact. Maybe she remembers that maybe she doesn't. Um, but I'm sure as heck not doing that for glory because I'm sitting in the bark chips at Lauren middle school, uh, chatting with this kid who's struggling, but you know, the level of impact is so significant regardless of title or position. Impact is so true. And we've talked about it now in a number of different ways and capacities, the impact coaches can have at the high school level, but you and I work together at the infancy stages of the Dandica basketball Academy down in Vancouver. Um, this was uh, something that, that you and I sat together, I can clearly remember, on, on the back deck of my house and saying, how can we help kids in Vancouver improve their basketball skills, be in a great environment where they learn these skills, be around great coaches with great character, and, and impact them off the court as well. Um, and we ran a number of camps, which I'm proud to say to this day, at, at that time, we had the largest day camp. Uh, in the Portland, Vancouver area. We had over 250 kids at a camp, which was awesome. We ran skill sessions and we had teams and we ran a few tournaments. Looking back at that, why, what, was, what was the passion behind it for you? You know, I, I know for me, basketball has always been my, my biggest love. I always want to be around it. Um, but you and I, I felt we created something really unique, really special there. And you had a great message that you always gave to the parents before any team session started? Yeah, I think, you know, at that time, um, I had just gotten out of coaching because I became an administrator. So, um, I mean, it's funny how timing works. And I think you were playing in Fort Wayne or something like that. Um, and so you initially couldn't be here. And so it, it gave me something to do, something to dive in. And then you were able to come back and, um, and we kind of hit the ground running. The, the camp was crazy. I'll speak to that real quick because we had about a hundred and some more kids show up than we thought. And we didn't turn anyone away. And I just remember me coming to you and saying, hey, Dan, uh, we need to come up with a session real quick because I don't know what we're going to do with all of these kids. And uh, I remember walking outside and we found some grassy area where you're just sitting down talking to kids because we had to come up with a different station. Um, <laughs> But it was really special. I think, um, you know, I, I wanted to create just a positive environment where kids could, could learn about the game of basketball and learn about themselves. And to be able to connect with you and partner with you to do that uh, really was truly special. The, what I always would tell parents is this is not your experience, um, good or bad. This is not your experience. And your role is to not save your kid. If if a coach is doing harm, um, of course you have to speak up. If a coach is, you know, if it's a playing time issue or a strategy issue, you, you really can't, you can't own that. Um, that has to be your kids. And, and I would talk about like even, even verbalizing it in front of your kids is so damaging um, because then when, it, when that kid goes back in front of that coach, they're always going to hear you in the back of their head that, you know, I don't need to listen to this person. So, and I would take some of those same messages and share them with the, the athletes at Prairie um, and the parents at Prairie is like, just relax and enjoy that your kid is healthy and able to have this experience. 
and stop trying to dictate and control the outcome uh, because you're always going to be disappointed if, if you try and do that. That's, uh, th those are great memories that were brought back um, in, in hearing that because, yes, I remember sitting out on the, that lawn talking to kids, answering questions, and one of the questions always came up, did you play against Michael Jordan? And I can say I did. Now, right now, we're everybody's enthralled with the, the Last Dance documentary. Every Sunday night, literally, if, if any of my kids interrupt me, I'm, I'm frustrated. I put my phone in the room uh, across the hallway so I can't hear it. You grew up in the MJ era. Now, the kids that you're around daily are growing up in the LeBron era. As an administrator, how can you effectively share with these kids just how great Michael Jordan was? Gosh, I don't know how you can put that into words. Um, I think, I don't know, I guess just watch the last dance and you tell me. Um, I, I think that one thing I want to say is how cool for you to be, to be actually on the court. I mean, every time I look at that picture when you post it, I just think how crazy that you got to stand next to someone. Uh, and, you know, I, I'm sure you're the same way. I don't get mesmerized by another human. Uh, it takes a lot for me to, to just be in awe of another human being. But I think that would have done it for me. Um, that probably would have been the guy. Uh, I think what, you know, I'm not going to get into the debate of who's better because um, I think that's fun. But I will say the mentality of people who are built like, Michael Jordan and Kobe, um, because in my mind and my, my opinion, and I'm a principal, so I guess it kind of matters, um, the mentality of the Jordans and the Kobe's of the world, they're just wired different. And, um, you know, and whether or not LeBron is wired the same way, I don't know. LeBron is so physically gifted. I think he could be wired any way he wants to. Um, but man, just the, the killer instinct, the, the episode that, or the situation that got me was, how Phil Jackson and, and Michael Jordan were just okay that their starting power forward was going to go hang out in Vegas for a few days. Uh, like part of me is thinking, dude, you got to draw the line somewhere. Um, <laughs> the other part is good for them for having a, a culture strong enough to be able to say, all right, Dennis, we'll see you in 48 or, you know, 56 hours whenever you get back. Yeah, that's uh, that is a heck of a culture that was built there. It sounds like you're building a, a tremendous culture. Uh, at Lauren, where you are a principal now, you've, you've built a tremendous culture wherever you've been. So, Travis, I really appreciate uh, having you on our podcast with our quarantine series today. Best of uh, luck to you as you guide your teachers and, and students to finish this school year safely. So, Travis, thanks again for joining. Thank you, Dan. It's great chatting with you. Talk to you soon. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube